Hello, beloved podcast listeners. This is Teresa. This is Scott. We're going to be recapping my message from last week, which means officially that we are caught up. (laughs) The only thing we could do any better than this is to make a podcast about my message before I did it. Yep. Yep. So this was February 3rd's message, if you are keeping track at home. I know some people do keep track of the date. You gave me a hard time about that, but some people say... Many people are saying that I should put the date in the title so that they know, because the people who typically come to hear it in person want to know if it's a week they missed or not. Cool. So... Are these um, people all from Brazil? No, not... (laughs) No, nobody... (laughs) To my knowledge, nobody from Brazil has traveled to hear one of our messages in person. Or commented on wanting to know the date that we're talking about this in Richmond, Virginia. Yeah, I don't think we've had any Brazilians do that either, but... Uh, well, I'm anyway, kind of disappointed about I that. I am too. I am too. If you're listening in Brazil, again, special uh, hello to you. Welcome. And, uh, if you're anywhere else in the world, then... Um, welcome to you also. Welcome to you also. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I did this message, which really was kind of a... Con- I ranted basically for two weeks. I called it a mini-series, but really it was a two-week-long rant. A mini-rant? It was a mini rant. Um, and I started it off um, with a quote out of Rizzo and Hudson's book, uh, The Wisdom of the Enneagram, that, uh, well, would you like me to go on and make the quote, or do you do you have anything else you want to say before I dive right in? I didn't have anything that I wanted to say, so you are more than welcome to read that quote. Is there anything that you want to tell people listening about Rizzo and Hudson or that book before you read the quote? Well, Rizzo and Hudson are people who've been writing about the Enneagram, and it's uh, basically like a textbook about the thing. And so a lot of times what I'll do is I'll just pick up the book and just... Read a random section. Read a random section, and I happen to be reading a random section... A couple of weeks ago, knew this message was coming up, and I was like, yes, this is lovely. Having heard this quote already, what I'll say is you don't need to have any experience with the Enneagram to benefit from what uh, she's getting ready to read you. So if that, if hearing that uh, turned you off because everybody in your life is studying the Enneagram and you've been resistant so far, which was me about five years ago, yeah. don't don't tune out just yet. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, once you hear it, if you don't like it and you decide to tune out, well, that's totally your call. Yeah, and you can you can uh, bail on us at any time. And the beauty of it is, is we don't know. <laughs> and although I would deeply care about it, Scott wouldn't. So they have that too. Yeah. All right, so here's the quote. Um, When Michelangelo was asked how he created a piece of sculpture, he answered that the statue already existed within the marble. Michelangelo's job, as he saw it, was to get rid of the excess marble that surrounded God's creation. And I love that because I think it speaks to um, two part. Uh, I don't want to say two parts because it's like splitting us apart. Um, it's a beautiful image of the fact that the best part of us is the worst part of us, kind of stuff. Um, tell me more about how how uh, tell tell me how you drew that connection from that quote. Well, I was thinking about how Michelangelo is presuming that the marble 
has something good to offer. Right. And he's right. got a vision that there's something good that can come out of this big old hunk of marble. But I really also love the vision of Michelangelo chipping away at it because I think that's how 12-step work feels. Mm-hmm. You know, chipping away at our defects of character and our shortcomings and our limitations. Uh, I love that image so much and that God is doing the work. And you're kind of having to sit still and take it. Yeah, I sort of like thinking about it like this, and you can tell me if you uh, if you think this works or not. But that the marble, uh, yes, I mean, there's there's a couple different ways you could look at it. You could look at it as stripping away things that are bad, but you could also think of it as the marble that's being stripped away is uh, is important to the process of creating something beautiful. Yes. Right, like it's not that the it, it's not necessarily that the pieces that are getting stripped away are bad just because they're not left on the final product. They uh, you needed them in place in order to create something new. Yes, from from one thing. Yes, and of course you know metaphors. They have so many limitations. <laughs> yeah, but I uh, love this idea of like the powerful image of needing a chisel in the hands of a loving and powerful God to um, to work with my defects of character. Yeah. It's not just something I decide, oh, really? I'm not supposed to do that? Well, then I'll never do that again, right? Just doesn't happen that way. And so I love this. I just love the image a, a really a lot. I was um, thinking about this class I was in with this woman one time, and the conversation was about shortcomings and defects of character. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was just like, I think maybe heartbreakingly feeling as if she was one giant shortcoming and defect of character. And so she just had this outburst in class, which, you know, I'm a big fan of outburst. Yeah, who doesn't love a good outburst? I love a good outburst. And so she said, you know, what am I supposed to do? Just kill the <laughs> Oops, can we say <laughs> on podcast? I can bleep it out if you want. Oh, I, I like it, but if we can't, you should do that. So anyway. I think I click the button on SoundCloud that says family friendly, so... Oh, In order for me to click that, I may have to bleep you out. But okay. uh, it'll be fun because later we'll sit down and I'll pull up uh, several options for beeps and you can pick out one that you think okay. is cute. Okay, well, I think I might say that word three more times just to get it. <laughs> it's, uh, that's about 15 minutes more work for me, so just think about that. Well, that makes it even more attractive. <laughs> but anyway, you know, look, she made this outburst and we all laughed probably at her, but I think if we were being honest, we were laughing in that awkward, uncomfortable way that recognizes that that's exactly how we feel, as if in order to somehow be transformed by the renewing of our minds, as Romans 12, 12 says, I mean, something's got to give and it might kill me in the process. 12, 2, maybe. Yeah, Roman, what did I say? 12, 12. 
Oh, no, it's Roman. I know where I actually know this address, so let me say it. (laughs) It's Romans 12, 1 through 3. Uh So one of my favorite verses in the Bible. So, you know, I... I thought the artistry of Michelangelo was a representation. So for, I, I think of God you maybe. I think maybe I distracted you. So you were you were saying about the person who said, "Kill the the bleep." Yeah. Um, Kill the. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, ten minutes more work. <laughs> um, you were saying. Uh, yeah, you you were you were trying to say what was significant about that moment that you liked, and I don't think you actually completed the thought. Well, the significance of the moment was the strong emotion and feeling like, in order to be to address her defects of character, that she was going to really lose a part of, you know, herself. Uh huh. Yeah, and and or just as problematic, I think, for a lot of us is we feel like we'll only be a virtuous person, or which is my way of saying we'll only be reflecting God's love right. if we don't have them anymore, and it's on us to eliminate them. Yeah. So I like, so I really like this particular metaphor because I think it's so countercultural, because I think we have two ways. We have two ways, two primary ways, let's say, of talking about shortcomings as a culture. And okay. I'm, I'm going to say this, and we'll see if you agree with me. All right. So we have the the bootstraps way of talking about them, which right. is if you have a problem, you just need to get rid of it. You, do, it's the Nike, the, just do it, do right? It. Just white knuckle it. Just kill the bleep. Yeah. Um, kill the. <laughs> Ten minutes more work for me. Um, and. And it shouldn't be, di- you know, there's no there's no recognition that it's difficult or hard to deal with a shortcoming. It's just if you have a problem, you just need to fix it. And then the, the second way, which is coming to prominence now, is the idea that a short is the, the idea that a shortcoming isn't a shortcoming. You know, that, that everybody is flawed and your flaws are part of who you are and you should embrace them. And that a flaw is actually a good thing because it's part of who you are. Who believes that? Well, in some of the circles that I listen to and read and watch and things, what I, circles I, are you <laughs> hanging out with that is stupid enough? Maybe to it's believe maybe that? it's millennials, you know. But the <laughs> idea that you know there's no such thing as a shortcoming. There's just you know there's just difference. I love my millennials. I don't believe they think that, but okay. Some people do. Some there's, people there's do. There's this idea. And you don't want to name names, and I'm pushing you to, and you're I, not going to say it. Yeah, exactly. I'm protecting the innocent. No, you're but... protecting the stupid. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's this idea, though. There's a fine line between embracing a shortcoming and considering a shortcoming to be a good thing. Yes. And so what your metaphor does is it refuses to consider a shortcoming a good thing but it also doesn't tell us that there's an easy fix. It tells us that we need to rely on a power greater than ourselves, i.e. God, uh, to chisel away at our shortcomings. It, it keeps us reliant on God and does not encourage us to be self-reliant. I think even in Christian circles, the way that, that shortcomings are talked about 90 to 95% of the time is ultimately a matter of self-reliance rather than reliance on uh, God. And I think that the metaphor being a metaphor that encourages us to rely on God and not rely on self is is countercultural because it resists both 
yeah. of those temptations to to say shortcomings don't need to be worked on. And the only person that can get rid of a shortcoming is you and you just need to try harder. And you should do it. Yeah. Right. Well, one of the things to stop name calling and actually appreciate somebody's perspective a little bit um, is I think that that fine line also includes, you know, um, in the 12 steps, it talks about, you know, basically giving God permission to, to or and asking him to remove the defect of character. And so part of 12-step work is patience and asking for the removal, but not presuming that it's instantaneous. Yeah. Right? So it's an acceptance of the fact that removing a shortcoming may be a process, much like creating a statue, but it is in no way saying shortcomings benefit anybody because they don't, except yeah. for maybe the work of removing them. It sort of reminds me of two things. One... I always loved it when uh, Dale Ryan, who was uh, who's a, a friend of ours, who's is a professor at Fuller Seminary and um, founded the National Association for Christian Recovery. He talks about the fact that God is always in the process of creating something new out of you, and He's perfectly content to take more than a lifetime to do it. Yeah. So, like, you yeah, don't I need love to, it when Dale talks about that because you you don't. Uh, there's no need to have the expectation that you're going to be a finished prod, uh, product tomorrow. Right. Not that people are products, but uh, you know what I mean. Like God is always working on you, and he's content to continue that work into the next lifetime. Yeah, I love that. And then uh, it reminds it, it also reminds me of Doug, who's one of our, our faithful Saturday night people who does the announcements for us and often talks about his experience with the steps when he does the announcements. And he talks about the fact that there are certain shortcomings that he's been waiting for God to remove for 20-some years. Yeah. And, um, and I there's think, a beauty and humility to that without... Yeah. Um, uh, glamorizing the shortcomings, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like part of the. It just acknowledges that that part of uh, a spiritual life is waiting for things that you don't you don't quite know if you'll receive right. in the in this life, so to speak. Right. Yeah, and <clears throat> if I might go back to my friend um, who was so frustrated in that class, the other thing about her question that was compelling to me is the age-old question of what's God's part, what's mine. Mm -hmm. And uh, so the verse that I selected to sort of um, rant from last week was Second uh, Corinthians 10, uh, 3 through 6, out of the message. And I don't want to read that whole thing, but could I read a little bit of it? Sure. It's uh, your... It's it's my turn. It's your turn. Um, we use our powerful God tools for smashing warp philosophies, tearing down barriers erected against the truth of God, fitting every loose thought and emotion and impulse into the structure of life shaped by Christ. Our tools are ready at hand for clearing the ground of every obstruction and building lives of obedience into maturity. How good is that verse? Did you say that was the message translation? It was. It has a it has a uniquely uh, 
Eugene Peterson sound to it. Yeah, yeah. I just, I love that. So we've got, you know, we've got a lot of responsibility here. We've got to think about our loose thought life. And we've got to think about our emotions. And we've got to think about our impulse impulses. <laughs> our, impulse, our impulses. Our impulses. <laughs> our impulses. Our, our impulse, impulses. Our impulses. I think I sounded a little bit like Woody in Toy Story. <laughs> There's a snake in my boot. <laughs> if fun. this weren't child-friendly, I'd tell another story. But That was fun. Carry on. Okay. So anyway, um, you know, there's work for us to do. We have to consider our thoughts. We have to even consider our emotions, which, hey, you know what? If I wanted to rant about something, mm-hmm. I would rant about the fact that we believe our emotions are truth simply because we feel them. Or that they point to a truth. Yeah, and that we don't we don't seem to... Now, like it's... Because like when somebody... So I'm, I'm pushing back on that because when somebody feels anger, the anger is a true feeling. But they may be angry over a perceived slight, let's say, that right. doesn't that isn't actually grounded in reality. Is that what you're talking about? Or are you talking about something totally different? Totally talking about that. Like okay. they, they feel anger and the statement would be, you made me angry. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I'm not crazy about that because the emotion is, is legit and true. But it has to be that person's to own and certainly an opportunity to get curious about why that was the emotional expression I had would be far more valuable. But sometimes we don't we don't try to fit it into right um, this uh, life shaped by Christ. And certainly I'm not denying the power and the re- relevancy and the, the reality of the emotion but I don't. I don't think we are thoughtful enough about uh, unpacking that. And then, of course, the impulsive way we live without really considering um, what we do in response to our inspired way of seeing. So I didn't rant about any of those things last weekend, but now that I'm thinking about it, I wish I had. Well, you don't have important. to stick to the script, you know. I mean, we rarely do on the podcast, so. Well, I'm just saying, you know, that we do have a part in this, and part of that is being willing to really wrestle with our thoughts, our emotions, and our actions as it relates to uh, our life shaped by Christ. Yeah, and I think what I hear in there is um, at least uh, the version that's in my mind is the Eugene Peterson version, and it's been at least a little while since I read other versions, but, you know, it, it sounds like something, I mean, you mentioned Romans 12, it, and it, it sounds relatively similar to that, and I think Paul's, uh, uh, Eugene Peterson does a good job of, what am I trying to say, man? This is, I don't know. This is rough. I'm struggling. But I guess what I hear in those verses is both um, use your perspective of life that God gives you, which you can consider that part of the chiseling process, to critique the harmful aspects of the culture that's around you and to critique yourself in a way. 
Yes. I mean, that's a possible implication of what's there. And I, and I think that sounds very much like some sentiments that Paul writes in several places in very plain language. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. And so if we do that, then stuff has to be chiseled away. Right. You know, and and this recognition, because I am so old and I realize that so many of my shortcomings, um, I'm, I'm still waiting on the chisel to knock it off, but I have a real appreciation for how over the decades there have been a few defects of character that have slipped away from me um, in spite of my best efforts to have gotten rid of them at an earlier time. Tell me what uh, slipped away means. It means just all of a sudden realizing that I'm not living with that particular defect of character anymore, maybe in spite of decades of being really oh. frustrated when I had it. I see. I see. So it's almost like a gift of it being yeah, taken away. Yeah. Sorry, I heard it. I, I was confused because I thought you were saying it got out of control rather oh. than. Well, it's I not. am out of control. <laughs> but, uh, but that's not what I was talking that, about. Occasionally, here. there are ones that are uh, no longer present. Yes. Because of because of the chiseling, let's say. Because of the chiseling. They got, knocked, the, they got knocked the, off. They got knocked off, you know. Um, we should end by chanting, knock it off, <laughs> knock it off. All right, I'll leave that to you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I but, was thinking about the Patriots press conference from last week. That was so silly. They did what lots of, happened? They, they did lots of really bad chanting. Tom Brady uh, put an artificial chip on his shoulder. And uh, so he started chant chanting, we're still here, we're still here, even though everybody kind of knows that they're still good. And Bill Belichick said, we didn't take any days off. So he started chanting, no days off, but he did it way too slow. So it just sounded like he didn't know how to chant, no days off. So it had no rhythm to it. Oh, gosh. Anyway, I had that in my mind still. And yet they been, still won the Super Bowl. They did. I'm, I'm still laughing about that because, look, it's all we have to take solace in. They're going to win the Super Bowl every year, but at least they suck at chanting. <laughs> well, there you go. Yep. There you go. And you seem to think it was a really boring game, although I hate Brett it. Miller. My cousin. Your beloved cousin loves a good defensive game. So. Yeah, I don't care what he likes. You do, too. I care what he likes. <laughs> All right. Get us back on track. So anyway, this is uh, this is it. I mean, this beautiful dance between what God does with his powerful tools and me sitting still, in a sense, um, in surrender to his work while at the same time doing my work. Yep. I love that. I mean, our life is so exciting. Would you think do you think it's fair to describe your work as saying like sort of finding a way to prepare yourself or maybe open yourself up to God's work? Yeah, definitely. Cuz I I always I get f I don't know if frustrated is the right word, but maybe I wonder or have a 
a sort of skeptical curiosity about it when we say there's nothing that anybody needs to do. I know you and I don't say that, but I mean, you hear that right. from time to time in Christian circles as, as a reaction to churches uh, or um, certain types of uh, uh, ministry philosophies that, that encourage a whole lot of doing and action and not a whole lot of stillness and contemplation. You need both in your life, right? But like right. When, when a place overemphasizes one of those things, um, you know, you start feeling like all that doing starts to then feel like the, the age old uh, idea of trying to earn something, right. you know, if, uh, and living out of that spiritual sh uh, kind of shame place. Um, but then the alternative to that is not doing nothing. It's figuring out ways in 12-step language. We talk about conscious contact with God and carrying out these principles in all of our affairs. But right. I think the work is, is a, a way to think about it, is opening ourselves up uh, actively finding ways to open ourselves up uh, to God so that he can do his work. And I think that under that umbrella, uh, you would have a variety of spiritual disciplines, but also accountability in your life and right. uh, community and things like that. And, you know... Uh, Sacraments. Silence. Stillness. Um, solitude. Being three. Um are really important. I don't know that I've ever totally understood the difference between those three things. Well, I think that's for another podcast. I totally understand it, but I, I'm, I'm not <laughs> going to talk about it here. <laughs> Let's do a follow-up podcast very soon on that, because right. that question has come up a number of times lately, and I think it would be worth podcasting or doing a brief video on the difference between those three things. Okay, let's do it. Yep. Uh, can we close with a story that I used last weekend? It wasn't a great sure. story, but it was a story. I can't remember which story it is, but I'm assuming. The Seven Minutes in Wegmans. Oh. <laughs> I, I think you told that story on the podcast last week. I did not. It I think you did. Uh-uh. It hadn't even happened yet. It had. It happened that morning. Oh. Well, Let's never go mind. Go Let's review the old podcast. Go ahead and tell it anyway. Well, it was just this. Well, I'll, it'll I'll tell have you. A, it'll have a new context now. I'll change right, so. the story. Don't change the story. Tell I, the story like it was. It has new context and meaning. Just roll with it. So I w we were really busy last week. We had videos to shoot, podcasts to create. I got bad news for you, by the way. We may have to do some some reshooting of, of some videos. but Oh, no, man. We'll talk more about that later. I'm going to kill you. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, <clears throat> just this idea that I was super busy and was do all good stuff, but it was really busy. And I calculated after one task that I could run into Wegmans in seven and had seven minutes to pick up stuff that I was I needed for a party. And somebody really got in my way and... Um, it was this idea of fitting every loose thought and emotion and impulse into this life shaped by Christ, which, you know, uh, the thing that I would say about that story that I didn't, I'm sure I didn't say anywhere before was that I had really had a lot of trouble sleeping the night before because I was so excited about all the stuff we get to do. So I had a good bit of silence and stillness and solitude 
um, time of prayer and meditation that morning. And I actually think that made a difference in walking into Wegmans because I think that kind of set me up for greater conscious contact with God. And so anyway, to, to abbreviate the story, since evidently I already told it, um, I was really patient with this mother and her kids as they continued to block my race through Wegmans at every turn. And I got to a certain... Patient externally, but very impatient internally. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But also like thinking about it. Like it's like you were I was aware. trash talking myself. Yeah. Right. Like you knew that you're, uh, to your point about true your emotions being true. Right. You knew you were having that feeling of frustration or impatience, but you also knew that it was a bit unfair to the to the mother and her kids. And I also knew that it didn't fit my inspired way of seeing, right? Right. And I was actually thinking about that. And even just the thinking of it sort of chiseled off the emotion of frustration. Um, and so I did move into a place where I could actually enjoy looking at those four little kids and thinking about how that mother was the one that needed the nap, right? <laughs> and then I got to a certain place and somebody who reads our blog said to me, and not somebody we yeah, know or hang out with. You got to a certain with. place in the store. Somebody got to a certain you. place in the store. Somebody approached her in the store. And she said, uh, hey, Teresa, I really loved your blog today on criticism and judgment. <laughs> there you go. And I, w I really knew that I didn't have a cranky look on my face because at that moment I was really enjoying the antics of these children and had sort of moved past my seven-minute dash. So, um, like, this is really the good life, to be able to have a sacred moment in um, Wegmans and to feel the hand of God in my life in such small little ways. I mean, um, this is a great way to live. Yeah, and I think that, you know, oftentimes the way change happens is you know, you'll be aware of a problem after the fact and wish you had done something different. But slowly and slowly over time, you get to the point where you um, recognize something in the moment. And I think that's what your story describes. You were able to see in the moment, okay, I am a little bit out of kilter. Yeah. And I need to check myself. Yeah. And, I mean, who hasn't lived with the regret of hindsight by you know, I guess it's not hindsight bias, but the clarity of hindsight, you know. Right. So it's great um, to have those very rare moments. I don't expect it to come again soon. Um, I'm sleeping very well now, so um, my silent solitude uh, practice probably isn't long enough to make me behave well in Wegmans. But... Um, Anyway, I just appreciate this life, and I appreciate God's Word, and I appreciate the way I think it really points us to uh, not needing to kill anybody or anything. Um, That's a big win. Yeah, but cooperating with and participating in uh, the work of God in our lives. 
I love it. Right about now, our listeners are going to start hearing music play. Are they going to hear it from Blue Dot Sessions? They're going to hear it from Blue Dot Sessions. Uh, We get our music royalty-free through them. Um, So if you have your own podcast and you're trying to figure out where music would come from, check them out. Um, You go to sessions.blue to find them. Sessions.blue on the web. That's where you find it. And um, they have convenient ways of searching an entire uh, database worth of music. There's a lot of stuff there. If you have found us... Um, through the strange inner workings of the internet or even the dark web. Uh, <laughs> I need a podcast on that. I don't even know what that is, but it sounds exciting and something dangerous. And then you can learn more about us. We are a recovery ministry located in Richmond, Virginia. And you can lo- uh, learn more about us at www.northstarcommunity.com. Uh, we really appreciate you listening. Uh, We enjoy doing this. Uh, Feel free to give us feedback. You can rate and review us um, on iTunes or in in Google Play, and that would let us know how we're doing, Um, and that'd be great. We always always want a little feedback. You're never going to tell me about that if it hurts my feelings, right? That's right. We'll probably, if you give us a bad review, we'll probably just delete it. Uh, I don't know if we can even do that. I know. We'll find out, though. Got to do the whole range. You just need to be the only one that knows about it. Yeah. All right. Peace out. (laughs) Talk to... (laughs) Peace out. All right. Talk to you next week.